Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. Today we were honored to bring on the governor of the state of Utah, Spencer J. Cox. In recent months, Governor Cox has been in the news for the passage of two new state laws, one that puts strict limits on the access to social media for teens, and another that would prohibit social media companies from using designs that are addictive to teens. Governor Cox believes that social media and smartphones really are the culprits behind a teen mental health crisis that has manifested, for example, in a skyrocketing rate of depression among teen girls. That rate has doubled since 2010, when mass smartphone adoption began. And Governor Cox has made Utah the first state to act in such a direct way. So in this conversation, we ask Governor Cox about the rationale behind these laws, the pushback that he expects, and what he thinks the long-term legislative vision should be when it comes to teens and social media. Governor Cox argues that in any other context, if we saw the statistics that we're seeing about social media, we would drop everything to fix it. Given these drastic and unprecedented changes in mental health, it seems crucial that all people of faith should be engaging with this issue that's so important for our kids and for the connective tissue of our society. We also want to mention that Governor Cox will be appearing at our upcoming Restore gathering in October. In that presentation, he'll be talking about his new initiative as incoming chairman of the National Governors Association to help Americans disagree better. We hope that regardless of the side of the political aisle you find yourself on, that you can help us engage with these important ideas and the issues that Governor Cox is bringing to the forefront. As he might say, though we certainly won't all agree, we can all benefit from learning to do it better. Thanks so much for listening, and with that, we'll jump right into the conversation. Governor Spencer Cox, thank you so much for joining us. It's truly, truly an honor to have you on. It's an honor to be with you guys. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while, so I'm glad we finally made it happen. Oh, that's very kind. One of the things that we wanted to talk with you about is something that we know has been on your mind for at least several years, and that's the uh, sort of recent uptick in in teen mental health issues, um, and particularly as it pertains to, to social media. Um, there are influencers like Jonathan Haidt who have been very... Uh, active on this issue. And I think it's starting to be on more and more people's minds. Um, could you talk about maybe how you're, how you're thinking about this, why it's important to you, and some of the things that the state of Utah has done to address the issue and is planning to do going forward? Sure. Yes. Thank you. This is such an important question. And I, I'm glad you mentioned Jonathan. Uh, he's he's uh, somebody that I've, I've read extensively, somebody that I've talked to uh, about his uh, his work and his research. Um, Jean Twenge as well, who is is wonderful and has worked with him. Uh, she has a recent book that, that came out called Generations that I think is is foundational to this discussion. But, but look, th- this has been an evolution for me as well. Uh, of course, I was serving as lieutenant governor. M- more importantly, I'm the dad of four kids. Uh, I've got three sons and, and a daughter, uh, three that are, are out of the house now in college, a couple that, that just got married, but then my daughter who is still at home. And as, as someone who worked with, uh, with young people through my, my, my church work, uh, I, I, I saw this happening over time. I have a brother who's a counselor at a high school here in Utah, and, and we, we kept having these conversations. He's like, he's like, something's happening. It's just getting worse and worse. We've never seen anything quite like that. And, and so that's, that's where, um, that's, 
the the uh, kind of the frame of reference that I come from, and seeing it with my my kids a little bit, um, certainly with their friends. My daughter's uh, the the only one of her friends that doesn't have social media yet. She's uh, she's sixteen and she's mad at me all the time for for that. Yeah. But we uh, as we were having these conversations. I wondered, you know, is there a role for uh, for for public policy in this? And at first, I was I was very hesitant. Uh, I'm a little bit of a, a libertarian bent when it comes to to these types of things, and the, the government often uh, makes things worse depending on on what we're dealing with. But the the more I I got into the actual research behind this, and the more I looked at uh, at the the the, the the at least correlation, the changes that, that started in 2012, almost a, a hockey stick type um, mm-hmm. graph of 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 depression, anxiety, and self harm, especially with young women, uh, kind of just exponential increases. It, it became very clear that something was wrong, something was broken, and this was before COVID. Uh, you know, this if you look at what was happening, and uh, and and more and more evidence pointing directly, not just a correlation, but but even some some really interesting experiments that have been done that are showing causation, and not just here, but across the developed world, and and that's when I, I just felt passionately that we needed to do something. Like we can't just stand by and watch this happening. If this was, you know, if, if this if these were cancer deaths. We would, you know, we would be losing our minds trying to figure out what was causing this. If it was, you know, if if, if, if vehicular deaths went up three hundred percent in in a few years, we would, you know, we would move heaven and earth to change that. And yet, when it comes to to social media, we all just kind of sat on our hands and and. So pushed really hard, uh, brought the legislature together, legislative leadership last summer, had a meeting with them, showed them the data, the research. Uh, we held some press conferences. We brought in teachers and students. We held focus groups. We, we listened. We learned. And uh, we started working on, on, on these pieces of legislation. And the, the, the real idea behind them is, one, to, to focus on our young people um, specifically. We do this with cars. We do it with alcohol, cigarettes. Um, we, we have a, a long history of saying, hey, until your brain is, is more developed, we're, we're, some things are, are just a little too dangerous. But, but it's not just telling parents how to parent. It's, it's giving parents the tools to do that. And so that's what we're doing. Um, we're, basically, we're requiring social media companies to create kids' accounts that are different than adult accounts. And, and the differences are one, that, that parents have access to those accounts and they can decide how often they want their kids to use this. It's giving parents more tools. Um, they, the default would be that they turn off at 10.30 at night, but parents can override that. If you want your kid on TikTok at four in the morning, you can have your kid on TikTok at four in the morning. Um, but uh, but that's the default because kids need sleep and we know that's that's one of the big problems. Uh, it, it, it turns off the algorithms, the addi- most addictive features and and makes it so they so these companies can't uh, can't uh, collect data from these kids' accounts from young people. We don't allow that in any other phase of the economy. We do not allow any other industry to collect data or enter into contractual relationships with fourteen-year-olds. We just don't do that. I don't know why we allow it with social media. Um, but it's not saying kids can't have social media. It's it, we want kids to to learn the best parts of social media to still be able to connect, and uh, that's what we're trying to do. We have a year to implement it. Um, we're working through some of those uh, some of those pitfalls as we figure this out over the course of the next year. Could you say more about why 
why this is why you're focusing so much on on children in development because I think I think Jonathan Haidt really has done a lot of work in this exact space and that was really illuminating for us. We have a a 14 year old daughter and so this is something we're thinking a lot about. But it's fraught because we're on social media too. So part of part of this situation is that it feels we feel like hypocrites saying like this is okay for me and not for you. Period. So talk about why why that really is the case. Well, th- th- there's a couple reasons. One is that just uh, just kind of the 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 politics of the possible, right? Um, the the ability to uh, to put some of these constraints around young people, the the Constitution, uh, the laws of the United States allow for that type of thing. So it's a little harder to do at at the adult level for for sure. Uh, but but more importantly, and I think Jonathan would say this as well. In fact, he has said this uh, as a great uh, a great Substack piece that just came out about phones and classrooms. But but it's it's this idea of the developing brain and, and the frontal lobe, um, our ability. To, uh, to make decisions that, uh, that are, are hard, um, especially when faced with, uh, with, with addiction. Uh, and again, it's hard for adults. Adults get trapped in this addictive behavior all the time. And social media is very addictive by design. But it, it's even harder when that frontal lobe hasn't fully developed. And so I, I think that's one of the important reasons to, uh, to focus on kids. Also, um, again, the research shows that, uh, and Jonathan would say this as well, that uh, puberty is a very critical time in, in development. And uh, e- e- even though social media is bad um, in your later teen years, and, and honestly, it's bad for all of us. Uh, I struggle with it too. And I, I do feel like a hypocrite. I'm trying to do better. Um, but, but there is something about that period of time when you're going through puberty, uh, as they've looked back over those who got social media. Uh, so social media comes out, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, those who were, who were, you know, 16 at that time versus those who were going through puberty at that time, there is a big difference in outcomes with, with mental health. So there's something about that developmental period that, that is even more fraught. And uh, that's why we're really trying to focus down on, uh, on those age levels. And based on what you're saying there, it seems like maybe you would differ from, uh, or you wouldn't necessarily agree with the recent legislation that was passed in Montana that next year implements sort of a blanket ban on TikTok just within state lines. And it's not just, it's not just government devices. Um, can you see something like that ever happening in, in Utah or would you avoid something like that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And, and again, I, I want to, as I've traveled, I, I met with, I've gone to 29 high schools in the past two months and uh, I, I've talked to students. We've had these questions. I've, I've asked students, thousands and thousands of students, you know, do you feel like social media is causing harm to your generation? And they, they know it is, by the way. They, they know this. They raise their head uh, and, and they want to be better. Um, and so I, I there, but there are some good pieces of it as well. And I, I want to help them. I think that's part of childhood is 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 figuring out and, and learning. Uh, uh, Jonathan would also tell you, I don't mean to make this a Jonathan I show, but it's important, <laughs> so important. But but he will tell you that that it's not just social media that's the problem. There's there's a second piece to this uh, that actually precedes this, and it's uh, it's it's unsupervised play. Um, that we back in the basically in the 90s, 
we stopped letting kids kind of roam and do their thing. I mean, when I was a kid growing up, we left in the morning, came back at night, parents had no idea where we were. Um, and it turns out that's really good. It's really important and really helpful. So when you take that piece away, so there's no unsupervised play now, and then you add this, this, this toxic, uh, the toxic nature of social media, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Now, I, I promise I'm answering your question. Um, I, I don't want to get rid of social media completely with young people because I do think they need an entree there. Um, otherwise, you're just pushing upstream the problems. Right. If, you know, if your your first taste of social media is when you're, you know, you're 21, um, you're, you know, you're you're likely to go crazy and, and end up in in some of the same, you know, some of the same problems. Although your your mind is a little more fully developed. Uh, the TikTok thing though is is a little bit different in that there are some other issues with TikTok that I think we should be concerned about, and that has more to do with the the Chinese Communist Party uh, and what we know uh, about access that they have to our data. And that TikTok specifically was designed as kind of a weapon of mass destruction. Um, I, I've, I've seen the briefings, um, uh, some uh, unclassified military briefings that we were able to receive about uh, the impetus behind TikTok and how different TikTok is in China versus the American version. And it is them weaponizing the very worst of social media. And, and I hear it with kids all the time. You know, I, I'm just going to check it. I, I'm not, not going to check tonight. Well, let me just look at TikTok for a minute tonight. And then it's four in the morning and they can't stop scrolling uh, because they, they really are addicted. So there, there may be some other reasons to treat TikTok a little differently. But as far as, as, as banning uh, social media, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, and I want to make sure that kids have access to the, the best parts. And, and what do you say to critics who are saying even these bills go too far, that even these bills are going to violate some are going to violate the first amendment and and this is already an overreach sure yeah look uh, we're we're going to have those those not just debates, but that litigation. It's, it's going to happen. And ultimately, the Supreme Court will decide uh, what the First Amendment means when it comes to social media and young people. I, I feel very confident that we can uh, that, that we can win those lawsuits. I, I, I really do. Uh, I've, I've, I've studied them. I'm an attorney. Um, I've, I've done a lot of constitutional law. And none of the, um, the decisions that those people use to argue involve uh, re really social media and kids in, in the form that we understand it now. A lot of these were decisions that were made in the late 90s when the internet was just coming of age. And uh, and so we we think we have very compelling arguments to, um, to uh, put some kind of time, place, manner restrictions on young people and and especially with the evidence of harm that we are seeing. Now, again, we have to do it in a way that is constitutionally responsible. I think we're doing that. That's why we that's why we gave us a year to work through that. We're working with social media companies to see if we can't find uh, a better way to do that. The, the, the biggest argument is around the age verification piece. That's that's the mm -hmm. hardest part. Um, most people don't, although some of them do, don't argue that you can't put some restrictions on some young people. The argument is, well, if you're putting those restrictions on young people, you're also putting it on older people as well, because now they have to they have to verify that their age and they have to give yeah. over data to do that. And so that's what we're working on. How do we help make that that possible? We, we also don't want social media companies to have copies of your personal information and your driver's right. So right, what, that, yeah, what would it, what would it look like? What does age verification look like? 
Yeah, so so that's the piece we're we're still working through. But think about maybe a third party age verification system where you you have to you have to prove one time who you are, uh, but they don't they don't keep any of that. But then you get uh, they, they, then you get a stamp of approval from them that, that then can be used by the social media companies. So nobody's saving that information, and there is a disconnect between the people you're verifying with and uh, and the people that you, that you're not. We're we're not trying to keep adults from this. We're we're, we're really not. That's not our intention. Um, but but it is it, it is difficult. I, I, I mean, I admit that there isn't a clean, easy way to do it. But but that's not the question. The, the question is, um, is it worth destroying generations of children for that? Or is the trade off that it's going to be a little harder to do? Yeah, worth worth saving lives, and and I think I think that's an easy trade off. And, and I will just say um, there has been very very little pushback on this. There has been some high profile pushback, and you'll hear that from some social media corners. The media, you know, kind of desperately wants that narrative because that's that's important for the media. But uh, everywhere we go, it, it, Republicans and Democrats, by the way, including the President of the United States. Um, members of Congress. Uh, I, I've been talking to senators on the left and the right uh, who are looking at what we're doing here. And then just parents, kids, students, uh, everywhere we go, just thanking us for trying to do something. So this is that rare area where the opposition is so tiny and we actually have bipartisan support, which is so hard to find these days <laughs> on critical issues. Yeah. There's also been a growing chorus starting to argue that uh, cell phone or smartphones should not be allowed during the school day in in schools. And we were actually just reading some really interesting research this morning that shows beyond just the sort of mental health problems that come with social media, that there was there was a study done that showed that the farther physical distance there there was between a kid and their smartphone the better they the better they did on tests so like it's if it's in their phone that was the worst testing out in excuse me if it's in their pocket that was the worst testing outcome and if it was you know locked away somewhere distant then that was the best testing outcome do you think it, it, it could that something like that ever get on your radar or would that would that cross that sort of constitutionality line for you yeah yeah no well, well first of all uh, i sent that study to uh to all, to to my team we, we okay. were having a very conversation this morning okay. um, so we're we're absolutely on the same page so th- th- not only is it on our radar it's something we've been discussing for for Quite a bit of time. Uh, that uh, that we actually had a bill this year that that would have would have done that that would have uh, prevented uh, cell phones or devices from being used in the classroom. That bill did not did not pass. Um, I we are working with school districts to do more of this, whether whether it's legislation or or otherwise. Um, I, I I think it's absolutely important. As we we talk to teachers and parents, they all understand this. But by the way, I, I want to tell you. So this this past week. Um, we had our very first meeting with cabinet members and senior staff where uh, we we had a no device meeting. Uh, we <laughs> made them take them all out of their pockets and put them on a bench on the other oh, side wow. of the room. Uh, so, and that was before I read this, this study, it was just a little <laughs> bit of an experiment. Uh, we're, we're, it won't be our last one either. We're going to be doing more of that because it, 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 the, 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 the study was so, uh, so, so convincing. And I think we all kind of know this, but when that phone, even if your phone is turned off and it's in your pocket, there is this connection that happens yeah. to, to your brain. And that's what the study showed with kids. I mean, it was, it was 
un, undisputable. Um, if you could put it in another room, suddenly you're there. There's more connection. And we as human beings are wired for connection. And, and these devices are taking that away from us. And so, look, I, I know there's some concern about parents. There's some concern about school safety. What, what I've urged uh, teachers to do is to have like a cubby or something just at the, the, the back of the room where kids put their devices in when they come into class. So if something happens, they could run and get their device. If they, if they needed to, they would be close enough for that. Um, but but the, the increase in student learning and engagement is off the charts. Um, I will tell you in a couple schools, by, by the way, there are schools doing this already in Utah, um, several schools that are doing this and they're seeing great outcomes. It's just convincing other schools that, uh, to, uh, to step in and, and, and go that direction. But when I was in some of these high schools, um, on occasion, I would ask the students to put their devices away so that we could connect. And uh, it, it was amazing how it changed immediately. Just the, just the eye contact that we were having when, uh, that when they weren't pulling out and constantly checking their devices and they were present in the discussion. We, you, you could just sense it in the room. It's, it's a real thing and we, we need more of it. Yeah. It does feel like at the end of the day, there's still only so much that government can do. And so I'm curious if you feel like are all of these efforts more about getting parents' attention and getting the uh, and getting maybe some of these lawsuits rolling so that social media companies will actually have to implement some of these changes? Or, or I don't know. I just I imagine that you're thinking about you know what can we do so that parents themselves and families actually really start trying to to change what's happening in their in their homes. So, so I guess what do you think a grassroots effort could look like, and how do you think government can actually kind of make that happen? So encourage I, it to happen. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought this up because you are right. It, we can we can continue to kind of push against the you know the the tide, the, the, but but if everybody else is doing it and your kid isn't. It's, it's almost impossible. It, it is. And th- this whole concept of, well, if we, ju- you know, if, if parents were just better, it's, it's purely the responsibility of parents. Some of the best parents I know have done everything right, everything right. And of course, kids are resourceful. And because everyone else is doing it and belonging is one of the most powerful uh, yeah. feelings that exist in, in humanity. Um, I, I think belonging is at the heart of, of most of our societal problems today. Uh, as people are lonelier, they feel left out. We're, we're, we're replacing belonging with this false sense, the, these tribalism phones, you know, yeah. If I don't have any friends, I can hate the same people together on Facebook, right? And this is what's happening. And so we we do need kind of a, a shift, a societal shift uh, to where it, it's you're the, the weird one if you do have full access to, to social media instead of the other way around. And you're right, government can't do all of that, but what we can help and give give them tools. Uh, and, and this is the, the important part. We also got funding from the legislature to launch an ad campaign, um, a PR campaign. And uh, I, I went over four different pitches with the, the, the ad firm that's, that's doing the work. Uh, we signed off on one of those pitches. And so you're going to see uh, billboards and, and you know PSAs. Uh, you're going to see a whole bunch of ads to help 
parents and families understand the dangers of, of social media. That's where we think we can help um, is to elevate this the way we've done with it. We, we really are using kind of the, the footprint of, uh, of cigarettes, um, the opioids crisis, the, the things that are happening there to, to, to elevate the discussion. So parents and kids can start having these conversations and uh, we can help parents make better decisions. And I'm curious, Governor, if you see this as really a, a sort of like a purely secular issue, or if you believe that your faith or people's faith in general can inform uh, can inform them as they try to address this uh, this mental health crisis that we're that we're seeing. I, I think it has to be uh, faith involved. I, I really do. Again, like most of the uh, the ills of society, it, what I, I mean, I go back to that belonging piece and wh- where we where we find belonging and where we find connection. And and for 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 most of the history of our country, uh, that happened through through religious connection and and, and organizations and and people coming together. Um, all, always, this is where we tried to deal with society's um, greatest ills. Uh, what fighting slavery through uh, through re- religious organizations, um, you know, problems with with alcoholism and uh, and, and and cigarette smoking. They're they're moral issues, but they're societal issues as well. And so, if we can help find that that connection and and lift people, we'll be be far better off. And and so, I I, I do worry that part of the problem is the uh, that we are losing this those religious institutions and uh fewer and fewer people are finding connection in those places and uh not not just religion but if, if you look at kind of volunteer service oriented organizations uh, I, I i love to use um rotary clubs as, as an example lions clubs elks lodges these places like re- religious faith where historically people have come together to to help each other be better and uh, and to help people who are struggling. Um, and when when we stop going to those places or doing those things, take take like um, take take religious philosophy or or religious tenets out of it, right? Um, and, and just think about the structure of, of those people together. Once we stop doing that, what do we replace it with? That's that's the question I always ask. Fine, you don't like religion, great. What are you replacing that? with in your life. And uh, if, again, if you lose that belonging and, and you replace it with a, with a cell phone and social media, uh, well, the evidence shows us that that's not the same type of connection and it's much more, more damaging. And so I, I, I will just tell you, I had a, uh, an interesting conversation with a member, not, not of my faith. In fact, a, a pastor, uh, leader of a congregation here, the, 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 uh, first Presbyterian church. And we had a wonderful conversation and she said, you know, um, kind of growing up, we were critical of people who came to our church, uh, for just the social aspects, but they didn't have a real, you know, a true belief in the doctrine. Mm. And, uh, and, and she's like, I don't know if it was like that in your church. And I'm like, yep, yep. It's like that in my church too. <laughs> we all knew the people who were just there for the, you know, the social, <laughs> they didn't have a real testimony. And, uh, and we both lamented, she said, you know, oh, how I wish that we could get people just to come for the social aspect. If that's the only reason you come, that would make our society so much better. It would make our families healthier. It would help us with the, the, the these issues again, that, 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 we're, 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 we're replacing, we're numbing ourselves because we're, we, we have so much pain and we can numb ourselves with uh, alcohol. We can numb ourselves with opioids 
or we can numb ourselves with, uh, with social media. And a lot of us are doing that right now. I appreciate so much that you're really making an effort to carve out an approach that is not all or nothing. You know, that it feels like a real invitation to parents to sort of be part of this mentorship as kids are growing and their brains are developing. And, and instead of, you know, like you said, kicking the can down the road and dealing this with this when they're on their own and in college and discovering social media and without any boundaries, you know, it makes sense that like, this is more complex and that we probably really do have to be part of the solution in our own home. But before we, I know we need to wrap up soon, but can you, can you tell parents what, what would you love to, for Utah parents to be reading um, to help get educated about this? Because I think it really is complicated. And if you understand the nuances, maybe we'll be better equipped to sort of educate our kids, but also kind of lead them gradually into developing their own boundaries as opposed to just cutting them off and then setting them loose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we, um, we, we are compiling these, uh, these, the, the, this information for, for parents. And as we launch the social media campaign, um, you, you'll be able to go there and see all of the best research. Um, for, for now, I, I would encourage people to, uh, to, to look at, at, at Jonathan Haidt's Substack, and we can put that in there. I think we, um, I, 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 we, we agree that this is very complicated. And, and, and I, I want to also say that I don't think that it is just social media that is causing some of the 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 increases in in harm that we're, we're seeing right in, in self-harm and and uh, depression anxiety uh me- mental illness but but i do think it is a, a major driver and i think all of these things are are connected and so um we can uh we'll i, I would just encourage people to watch uh, over the next few months when we're ready we'll, we'll do a press release we'll let people know uh but but in the meantime um Jonathan's Substack really is probably the best place to find that. And uh, Jonathan pronounced hype, but it looks like hate. Um, so uh, that, that's that's a great place to start and a great place to look at. And I appreciate resources like this, like, like this podcast that are helping to get that information out there because as parents, we do feel like we're, we're kind of alone sometimes that we're, we're out there on an Island. The last thing I just wanted to say on this piece is I, I it, kids aren't just the problem. Uh, adults are the problem too. And we are addicted and we are using social media in very divisive ways. And I actually think that it's it, it, that this messaging with our young people will help us be better as adults. And I encourage our young people all the time. I think they do understand it. I think they're they're better than we are in so many ways, and and that they can help us as parents to uh, to put our phones aside and uh, spend a little more quality time together. Okay. Thank you well, thank so you. much. Governor yeah, thank you so much, Governor. Uh, thank you for your leadership on this issue. Uh, you have really been out front. Uh, thank you for your thoughtfulness on the issue. And we're excited to see you in October at our Restore gathering. Uh, can't wait to can't wait to see you in person there. I'm so looking forward to it. We were going to try to do it last year and it didn't work out with my schedule, but uh, but I can't wait. Thank you for the great work that, that you all are doing. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And a big thanks to Governor Cox for coming on the podcast. If Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters. And we appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.